Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. craving a community of like-minded women? Do you feel like an outsider in your family or your community? Well, I may have the place for you. We have a Free Birth Society private online community that's full of radical and wild women just like you. If you resonate with the topics that we explore on this podcast and want to belong in a circle of women who support each other in the self-exploration of free birth and wild mothering, come join us. You can apply online at our website, freebirthsociety.com. It's where myself and my team are hanging out these days, and we would love to get to know you. darlings. I have something a little different for you this week. I'm actually sharing an interview that I did with Katya Nova from her podcast, Honey Talks. You know, I've gotten pretty comfortable being the one interviewing, so it's always fun to be on someone else's podcast and shake it up. So this time I'm the one being interviewed. Katya and I's conversation turned into something very powerful that I'm really proud to share here to our listeners. We get deep into some of my favorite topics, conscious conception, sexuality after childbirth, matriarchy, and some pretty personal stuff about me and my life. And I'm just going to plug this up front. Katya and I have a huge and super exciting announcement to make at the end of this podcast. So stick around to the very end or skip ahead. And let's just say I'm pretty sure that you've been secretly waiting for this dream to come true. So stick around. My beautiful girl, I'm so excited to talk to you. I know you do. I've been thinking about it all morning. You know, I told myself that I would not be one of those podcast hosts who just loses her shit and, and gets all giddy <laughs> talking to guests. And You look pretty giddy right now. <laughs> Why? Why not? Well, when everyone can share in that excitement. Yes, but you know how... Uh, these podcast episodes, you know, a lot of them start with, oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. This is going to be the best thing ever. Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you too. I love you more. No, you hang up. Uh, I actually don't listen to any podcasts that start like that. So, <laughs> so this can just be refreshing. This will okay. be the only one I listen to that has that. Okay. Well, I am so pumped to talk to you and I do love you so much. Your podcast, Free Birth Society, was a saving grace through through my whole pregnancy with Phoenix. I, I was just like, how do women even do this without mm-hmm. without a podcast? And mm. my first pregnancy with Zion, I felt like I was so prepared. I did so many so many things, you know, hypnobirthing, different kinds of meditations and many, many books. But this was a whole new thing, listening to listening to women's stories and 
hearing you hold them and and talk them through and ah it was beautiful thank you yeah that was really why i wanted to start it was you know i've said this a thousand times on my podcast that i really believe that women learn best through personal narrative and that has certainly been my experience i mean i have these these memories of sitting at the feet of these elder midwives and listening to their stories and listening to this birth or that birth and really feeling this karmic memory deep in my bones whenever it would happen where I was like, this is it. This is the learning. This is how it happens when women come in circle and when women share their stories. And in my birth work, I've noticed that women remember the stories I tell them prenatally way more than the quote unquote facts or statistics. Um, But if I weave it into a story then, you know, I've had so many women in labor look at me and be like, was this like that one mom who did that one thing? And, and she remembers it. So that really stuck with me. And then as I prepared for my own journey of my first pregnancy, you know, partially it was selfish that I wanted to be just completely, you know, inundated with all of these stories of women birthing in power. And so I thought, well, you know, it's not going to happen in my home because this is a global kind of unnetworked community. And so I'm going to make a virtual circle. And that's, that's been the vision ever since I started it is when, I, when I'm listening to a woman talk and then when I put it out onto the internet, I picture this circle, you know, that we're all sitting around this fire. And when people, you know, they send me their little cute stories on Instagram of how they listen to it and their rituals of how they listen to it and with their kids or cleaning. And it's just like, yes, this is it. And this is a positive use of the internet. And, you know, I've had women from all over, you know, random places I've never even heard of. I mean, it's not random to them, but places I've never heard of, um, finding their way with this podcast and power all over. I remember the photo that I sent you actually listening to your birth story you made us wait for it. You divided it into two parts. <laughs> I know. And I was sitting on my on my yoni stool, steaming, uh-huh. and I just was crying. And I think that's a picture I sent you. It's yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Crying face. Yeah. Yeah, that was intense. And that I, you know, there was a huge part of me that didn't want to share my own birth story, um, and it was you know, it was a beautiful test for me to kind of give that back and be in the public eye with my own story because I'd been collecting everyone else's stories. And it, and it was this, uh, yeah, kind of equalizing offering like, well, yeah, I can hold stories. That's the easy part. It's easy to listen to women's stories. I love that. But really carrying the episode by myself and sharing my intimate story and then editing it and choosing how to put it out and then feeling that, um, response, which wasn't all positive, you know, and yeah, it was, it was very vulnerable. And of course, I'm really glad I did it. It would be only fair since everyone's been sharing with me, but yeah, that cliffhanger, man. <laughs> I want to add, some women told me later that they were in labor right after part one. And so they were like, <laughs> no, what happened? So this will be a big, for anyone who hasn't heard it, you've got to go listen to it to see what we're talking about. Yes, yes. And I wanted to add to to our listeners, even if you are not currently with child uh, and are not planning on on a conscious uh, free birthing journey, please go listen to Emily's podcast because it's brilliant. And this is the thing. I mean, the way that I think about it is the podcast isn't specifically for women who are pregnant or women who are uh, going to free birth. It's for women. And 
you don't stop being a woman who, who has this uh, potential interest in yourself and in womanhood and in sovereignty and in unpacking our patriarchal socialization and, and hearing women's stories, right? Like that is our, our right as women to share in these stories. And then, and then furthermore, that when we share these stories, no matter where you are in your life, if you're an elder or you're 16 years old, holding these stories deepens your wisdom as a woman and you will pass that on. And so it doesn't matter if you're pregnant or not, you get to be a knower. You know, when you hold all of these women's stories and when you take in all this variety and it normalizes not just birth, but being a woman and being a woman on this path of trying to, uh, you know, figure out and learn how to be in your power and in your pleasure and in your sovereignty and in your self-authority in a culture that says, fuck you, shut up, basically. <laughs> Don't you dare do that, you know, and it's, it's, it's deep. So yeah, I definitely have a lot of women reach out to me who aren't planning to have children or, um, or they've never thought about it that way, or even this podcast changes it for them and they thought they were going to have a scheduled C-section because that's what happens in their family. And this is the first time they've considered that there's another way. So yeah, I really think it's important no matter where you are in your life as a woman to carve out some space to think about this stuff. And I understand you began walking with women way before you wanted to bring together this platform online. Yeah, right? for and sure. You were as mm -hmm. young as 16. I think 17 was my first attended birth, but uh, I had left home early. I dropped out of high school when I was 16 and just was ready for real life. I was like never going and it was a joke. And so, yeah, I moved to LA and I started taking a baby massage training and that just really woke me up to communication with babies and simply put, it was all volunteer work, but I was teaching mostly mothers, but sometimes fathers, um, who had special needs babies, uh, who had either just had open heart surgery, had developmental issues. And then at some, at one point I was working with uh, babies who were exclusively in hospice. So hardcore, you know, really some of the saddest, um, just gut wrenching stuff, but I would show up to their homes or even in the hospital sometimes and just carve out the space with them to do essentially it was like Reiki, but I never called it that because, you know, a lot of people don't know energy exists. <laughs> And so what, we would energy. Yeah, we can actually do something with our energy. And so, yeah, it was so beautiful. And it, and, and I was so young, and it was all just volunteer. And I got paired through an organization with different families, and I would just go to their house and um, just basically sit in quiet and support them. I wouldn't ever touch the babies. That's not what infant massage is about. It's about supporting the parents to bond and communicate and acknowledge those. Um, you know, the cues that baby gives and to re, especially with these babies who had had a really rough start in their life and maybe were not going to be living for much longer. Um, it was carving out the space of reassociating touch with love. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they might be having just got out of surgery where they, they won't let you touch their little foot, you know, where the Ivy line was or, you know, the huge scar on their chest and just so much pain and so much trauma so early. And so then I would come in and yeah, just show them, kind of just give them different invitations of how we could hold our hands above their heart and not touch them, you know, and just say, I love you. You're safe now, baby, you know, whatever, such simple stuff, but it was profound. And I remember the first mom who called me, I think I'd already done three sessions with her and she, you know, they're meant to keep doing it throughout the week when I'm not there. 
And she called me and he was four months old and he'd had open heart surgery and was super shut down. And he had just come home from the hospital and, uh, she called me crying and she said, so-and-so the baby's name, just let me touch his chest for the first time. Oh, I mean, my life changed when that happened. When I got that call, I was like, this, this is it. Like this, this is it. Mother baby is the answer. Mother baby is the way. And I am devoted. End of story. (laughs) You know, it was just it. When I saw how simple it was Mm -hmm. to support the love and connection, you know, it wasn't like I did anything all that special. I just provided, um, some space and some permission and some ideas, you know, and then of course it was up to them. So from that point on, I was like, all right, this is, this is it for the rest of my life. This is the most significant thing on the planet. And I, I, I believe it even more now that I'm many, many years older. That was 16, 17. I'm 32 now, almost 33. So then I attended, started attending births at 17 and and it was on from there. Wow. I remember feeling so surprised that you didn't have a, a bunch of babies already. <laughs> yeah. Already. I was like, what? She's pregnant for the first time? What? This is yeah. so cool. It was like a 20 year long conscious conception plan, really, you know, because I had had that knowledge of wanting or, or in the process of becoming a mother my whole life, ever since I was little, you know, I was like the one in the, in the family that was the babysitter or the one that was like, you know, coveting all the babies in the neighborhood (laughs) and always, you know, that, that girl. And then, you know, obviously coming out to LA and, and not, not having my partner yet. um, I just always knew it was the way both for myself as a blossoming mother and then to support mothers. And so, yeah, I really took my time with it. I really, um, I knew I would reap the benefits of it too. Um, gosh, it's like, it's hard to even articulate because it's such a calling. It just, it was always so obvious. You know, I've never, I've never worried or wondered about who am I? What am I doing on this planet? So, so the motherhood piece, it was like, I was always nurturing it and knowing that I was a future mother, but I held so much reverence for it. I really wanted to take the time that it was going to take to create the optimal story, you know, for, for our family. And it's still unfolding. Of course, I have one children now I intend to have more. So yeah, it was like a very long journey because once I, you know, I was a doula, very, very busy doula and midwife's assistant all through my twenties. So for over 10 years, I was attending so many freaking births. Like I had many, many months in a year where I was going to between five and 10 births. So many. And I don't even really recommend that because you can't even keep up with that energetically, uh, or I should say I couldn't. It would be one thing if I was just having seen, you know, women birthing in power, but that wasn't the, that isn't the story of most doulas. I don't know any doulas, um, you know, that that's the story because to have a thriving business, you really do have to be attending births in captivity, which is uh, for me and many doulas deeply, deeply painful. And there was no way in my energy field I could move into the health that I needed to hold space for my baby um, until I had figured out how to exit that very long career path that I had been on. Mm-hmm. So the more kind of just maxed out I got on that, I mean, mo- pretty much all births in the hospital I've witnessed are abusive on some level. Um, I think vaginal exams are abusive. I think, you know, I think it, it goes really, really deep. Um, but, and because consent isn't a thing and, 
um, I don't believe that informed consent is possible in positions of authority. And so it's, it's really, once I started to tune into that stuff in my mid twenties, um, and I started to really be able to name the abuse to myself, you know, once you name it, you can't unname it. And so then every birth, I was just, my eyes were just wide open and it became so painful. And I had a string about four years ago of many births back to back that were some of the worst and Mm. still just haunt me to this day and always will. So painful, like, like kind of my first real experience with true birth rape, like not, no denying it, no way to reframe it. Like multiple women in a row being held down and, and, um, screaming no while they had things inserted into their bodies. So yeah, really, really hardcore. And, um, it was really awful, obviously. And so that just, I remember leaving this one birth, particularly just being like, I accepted money for that. And it's not my fault. I'm not saying that. It's of course not my fault that I witnessed abuse, but I just was like, man, I've been to hundreds of births. When am I going to start catching up to the truth of this? Which is I'm making my living off of accepting money basically under this lie telling these women in some way, shape or form that I'm going to help increase their authority. And it's not really true. Maybe on some individualized stories it is. Sure. I've stopped episiotomies. I've intentionally broken sterile fields so that things did not occur, but that's small potatoes to what we're really talking about. And so I had a a really nice conversation with a woman named Maren Green who runs the Indie Birth uh, Organization and Taking Back Birth podcast, which is a great podcast to check I love out. That if, yeah, yeah, super great. And um, I had a great conversation with her that was very pivotal for me. And she just said, you know, at some point you have to decide if you want to pour your energy into a broken system or pour your energy into the new paradigm you want to see. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, duh okay, well, that's obviously the answer. And so, yeah, I took a hard look at what I was doing and, and knowing that my baby was calling me and I just stopped. I finished out the births that I had and said, no more. I have a new boundary. It was, it was a little bit of a slow process. I started to only attend home births, still wanting to hang on to this licensed midwifery thing. And then that was a shit show because that's totally an abusive system too. It's a medicalized birth. If you're hiring a licensed midwife most of the time, simply because the rules and regulations um, that a midwife agrees to follow, um, I'm talking about here in America, but it's true in, in all countries that I'm familiar with the rules and regs of midwifery. It's a medicalized agreement that they're making. And there's a lot of margins that women fall on that cause women to be transferred for reasons that aren't individualized to them. For example, waters being open for 12 hours in some states, 24 for some states, and then it's just an automatic transfer. And so mm-hmm. I, I saw a birth like that, right? It was, I think it was one of the last births that I attended. And yeah, it just broke my heart all over again. And it was nothing new. Like I've seen these all the time, but I had totally new eyes on the situation and realizing that it wasn't that ethical for me to be attending these births that I would never choose, which that's an interesting part too, because we're trained as doulas to be like, no agenda, no bias, uh, attend everybody, support everybody, don't insert yourself into anything. And I call bullshit on that. I actually think it's so much more powerful to own your bias. And you're not for everybody, just like 
you're not for everybody in life, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, that's actually just a, a, it's a very, um, I think it's a very misogynistic way to, to, to train doulas, quite frankly, you know, to teach them basically not to have boundaries, um, and to not, uh, have, yeah, essentially boundaries. That's really what it comes up to. And so when I finally had to unlearn so much of my doula training and the doula culture, and once I just started really working through that, I was like, okay, I don't have to be beholden to this paradigm. I don't agree with at all. And in calling in my baby, how do I want my birth work to look? And so, yeah, that brought us up to knowing that I wanted to leave LA and knowing I needed to have a major downregulation of my nervous system and I needed to be quiet. I needed to be alone. I'd been living in LA for so long, which I love that city so very much, but it is an intense city to live in um, and not a place that I wanted to be pregnant in. I wanted to walk in the forest. I wanted to see deer. You know, I wanted to smell clean air and, um, and sleep as much as I wanted and, and journal and be alone because I wanted to honor this final stage of maidenhood where, you know, knowing I was probably never going to be alone again, (laughs) you know, and how to just really give reverence to this final stage. And so my husband got a job out in the woods per my request and we left LA and I got to spend a year we conceived our baby, um, the month that, that we asked for her to come. And then I basically just slept (laughs) and walked in the woods and cried and meditated and chanted and danced and just spent a lot of time alone. And it was really profound. I really needed to carve that space out. I had so much secondary trauma from just the horrible assaults that I'd been witnessing for so long. Um, that I really needed to get some real space from that before entering my own birth, you know, cause that's the heady. Ask. Yeah. yeah. That's the crazy thing is like, it's what's unique to birth attendants, especially doulas because they're not the quote unquote providers. Like you're seeing all this shit, but then you go have your own baby and how do you separate from separate. that? And, yeah. yeah. A little while ago, you mentioned the words conscious conception. And that's on the tip of the tongue for, for many people in this, in this world. But I think it's a new concept to to many others. Could you speak a little bit yeah. about this? I'd love to. It's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite topics because it's so simple. It's exactly what it sounds like. It is conceiving, calling in your baby, however you want to frame it, with consciousness, with awareness. And so there's no one way to do it. And it's it's yours, you know, however you make it. The point, just like conscious eating, just like conscious living, just like anything, literally it just means be aware, do it with intention, do it with consciousness. And as I grew up, I think it was my dad, somebody planted this concept in my head. I don't know, it's gotta be my dad. It feels like something he would have talked about. Um, but I remember in middle school, trying to tell my girlfriends about it and being like, you guys... <laughs> Like I was that kid being like, you guys, how romantic is it going to be when we're like making love with our partners and like calling our babies? (laughs) And they're like, you're super weird. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's something that's been in my mind as the pinnacle, most romantic thing Mm. that could be. And so then as I became a sexual person and, you know, in my teenage years and, and, um, I had a long-term partner in high school and then, well, we're five years. So out of high school as well, I remember having, and because this is kind of a 
sex-based podcast. I'm going to just go there for a second. Yes, I, re- <laughs> I remember I was on birth control because that's just what, you know, my mom put me on and I didn't have, you know, any education around that yet. And, you know, got off it as soon as I, as soon as I did, but I remember being on birth control around 18, 19. And my boyfriend at the time came inside me and I had this epiphany about what if I still got pregnant And well, that wasn't the epiphany. That was just the thought. But the epiphany that came from that was how fucking sacred allowing someone to ejaculate inside your body really is. Mm. And it moved me so much. And I was like, no more. I don't want that until my baby's here ready. I don't yeah. want that. That is something that, you know, and it's funny because I'm super not religious at all or conservative at all, but I've heard religious conservative women talk about that, about their virginity. Uh-huh. And, and I certainly was no virgin, but I, I, I guess I feel like maybe I am kind of relating to that in a way, because I'm not going to say that no man ever ejaculated inside me the next many, many, many years until I had my baby. But anytime that that did happen, I felt super not okay with it. And Uh super like, oh my God, I'm playing with fire, not in a, oh, I could get pregnant, but in a, like, I'm disrespecting my baby. It was really deep. So yeah, I just, I've, I don't know. I've just always had this kind of relationship to my future motherhood or my children knowing that when I really called for them, they were going to come. And that's exactly what happened. And so when I got with my now husband, I told him like, Hey, I want to take this real freaking seriously because you're obviously the dad. The first night we had sex, my, my son came or our son came to me in a dream and it was the first night ever that we had slept together. And he was just floating above us like this little cherub. And he was like, Hey, that's my papa. I'm coming later. This is my name. And I was like, did you have that vision? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. He was like two floating above me. It was a full moon in real life. And the moon, (laughs) it was very trippy. The moon was coming in onto us, um, in the, in real life. And then in the dream, it was the same setup with, with my boy floating above us. And, um, and I, I woke Johnny up and told him again, the first time we've ever slept together. And I told him and I was like, dude, our son just came to me. This is his name. He's, he, I just saw him and Johnny just looked at me and he went, cool, man. <laughs> he just was like, so sleepy. It was just like, that's awesome. So anyway, he's not here yet, but I think he'll come next. And so, you know, kind of having our boy present so early was like, we got to be careful about this because, you know, I, I want to respect them. Again, it wasn't ever like a fear thing. It was just they're already with us They're They've been my spirit babies since I was little, you know, I, these are my, like, these are my crew and they're waiting for the right time to come in. And I'm going to honor that with doing the best I can. So when it actually came time to conceive the baby, that was when it got, of course, like even more intentional. So all of this really was a journey to conceiving our daughter, Sunier. So moving out of LA, you know, getting, getting that time alone that I was speaking of, I went to India, uh, again with with two of my best friends and then we played around in Indonesia for a couple of weeks in this honoring um the farewell to my maiden you know it was just so special and and be like okay like I'm not going to be traveling to India anytime soon with a kid because I wouldn't want to probably and so yeah I came home and then we did a little cleanse which I don't think you necessarily need to but again we just kind of wanted to go all in anyway so then we 
had these romantic rose petal baths and um, had a candle for her. And so we would pray to her before we made love and we would light the candle and just say, you know, we're welcoming you and we're on your time now, but the portal is open from us to you. And so find your way here, you know, and our hearts are open. Our bodies are open, mine in particular. And yeah, we're just open. And it was the most incredible sex ever for, well, I guess it was like two months that we did it. And it was just so, it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Just no holding back, you know, no, you know, until, and until you want to be pregnant, there's a part of you and your partner that aren't fully able to go all in because you don't want to conceive. Right. And that's an obvious thing we all have to contend with. And so I really wanted to play with that of like, what does that feel like to be so open that, that there were no boundaries at all. And it was, it was awesome. It was really special. Wow. That sounds amazing. And I love the contrast. And in the first episode, Rob and I talked about how mechanical it was for us. Mm -hmm, I know. Yeah. It was pretty much boring, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I love the contrast that totally experienced. And so for, for you guys and for Rob and I, it was actually pretty quick, right? But what would you say to couples who are having a harder time and who might be listening and are, are having a frustrating yeah. experience when they really want the conception to be conscious and to be beautiful and they've been trying for, mm-hmm. for, um, for longer than they'd like? Well, the first thing is women aren't taught tracking usually. And so the first thing is, is fertility awareness method. Cause we need to make sure that you're even actually having sex when you're fertile. Um, and that is across the board with my work in women and women who um, are trying to conceive without success. That's the first thing we have to look at. That doesn't mean it's going to fix it, but it's certainly going to hedge your bets, you know, because if you're only fertile around a 24, 30 hour window of your cycle, and you don't know when that is because your app is going off averages or your doctor is going off averages, then it's not going to happen. You you can't conceive if you're not fertile. You can't conceive if you're not ovulating. And so um, there's an amazing book called Taking Charge of Your Fertility Mm -hmm. that is like the Bible for this stuff. So absolutely read that if that's new to you. And then I have a podcast with uh, Jessica Austin, Breaking Down Fertility Awareness. And it's super easy. It's nothing to be intimidated by. You know, you just, you you, um, check your basal temperatures in the morning, just your resting temperature, and then you can chart. And then you chart and you notice how your temperature rises and drops throughout the month. And, and then you, you track your, your blood and, and your cervical positioning and your cervical fluid. So it's very, very, very simple to do. Um, but after that, you know, I, I could only speak to just spiritually how I feel about it. And if it resonates, you know, with anyone listening. Um, but again, like this isn't something I have had to be challenged by. So I say this with, you know, a very gentle heart because I, I, I know it's not easy and I know it is really, really painful to get your blood, you know, every month when you, when you want your baby to be here. And I've, um, of course walked with so many women that, that held that prayer in their heart. And all I can really say is your baby's already working on you. You know, this is the work, this is motherhood. Nothing happens on our time. And this is an agreement between you and your baby. And so all you can focus on, in my, in my opinion, and all you can focus on is setting up the container 
but you're not in charge and you don't get to decide the timing, but you can optimize your container, like your physical body, your partner's physical body, your home, knowing when you're fertile, making love with a prayer, you know, with, with a prayerful heart. And I mean, I know that might sound really just simple, but so many women that I talk to aren't doing any of that. And they're just having like angry, resentful, weird scheduled sex and then pissed and they're all, you know, and they're, they're drinking a ton of coffee because they're stressed out or they're, you know, drinking alcohol or they're, um, they're tight, their jaws are tight. You know, I, I will sit with women while they tell me about their, their feelings about, um, not conceiving and their jaws are tight. And it's like, girl, you got to get into your body. You got to get into your yoni. You've got to relax. And I'm not saying that's easy. I am not saying that this should just be, uh, anything other than it is for you. Like this is the journey, but that's always what I come back to is, I find comfort in the framing being your baby is already teaching you. Your baby is already with you. They're a thought away and they are working on you. You know, if if a woman's experiencing multiple losses, you know, that is, oh, that is so painful. And everything is perspective, right? We are in control of our thoughts if we choose to be, or we can be run over by them and be very, very depressed and, and sad. But from a place of power and of, of uh, you know, looking for the blessing and looking for the lessons, you could choose, and I've seen many women do this, you can choose to start to feel that cord from your heart and the cord from your womb out to this baby, picture what they look like, call them into your body and treat yourself, which is the container with all the love and softness in the world, because that's the home your baby wants. And then what you may find is even if a baby never comes, you've healed yourself, right? And so there's some really deep stuff in there of, you know, we, we, we're not on a baby's time, but we are on ours and we can heal ourselves and we can find ways to whatever we think a baby's going to give us. I don't know if that's in your karmic path this life or not, you know, none of us do. And so all you can do is make yourself be the best, softest you know, most loved woman to your own self and see what happens, right? But then no matter what, you've won. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And well, I'm dying to know, did you keep that epic sex going after the baby was born? After Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Tell me, tell me about that. Yeah, I was thinking about that this morning. Um, yeah, well... No, I would not say we've kept that open. <laughs> we have had some, um, but we, so we went to Hawaii to have the baby there and we were there for February, March, like three months postpartum. Um, and we, we had sex once there and it didn't feel good. It burned afterwards and I had torn with, with my birth and um, it was seven weeks postpartum and I totally wanted to try it and it, it felt like the right time to try it and it, it wasn't the right time. I mean, it was fine that we did it, whatever, but um, it burned afterwards and I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it some more time. So then in, in that time between that and then the next time that we had sex, uh, we moved to Colorado. So a lot changed in our lives. And then we got to Colorado and the job that he had been hired for wound up getting sold. And so there was a pretty dark night of the soul over the summer, which was not a sexy time at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, oh, what I wanted to say also is in postpartum, immediate postpartum, I was shocked by how turned on I was those first, 
yeah, like six weeks. Wow. And it might have something to do with the fact that I know I couldn't have had sex because my yoni was healing, but, and it was also that I had an epic birth and my partner was profoundly there for me and for our daughter and the intimacy that we generated, I mean, all the way up to, but what was happening between us in those weeks afterwards we were so hot for each other, but did not have sex. Yeah. And so that was fun. And I hadn't really ever heard of, I had never heard someone say that to me before. And so that was nice. But, and that's kind of what we've been exploring this year is that intimacy um, looks so many different ways. And that intimacy right now in our first year of parenthood uh, doesn't look like penis and vagina very often. It doesn't um, look like orgasms very often. It looks like, you know, cuddling on the couch and, you know, having a long kissing session when a commercial is muted, you know? And so we've come up with these little rituals that we agree to. Like one is I've asked him to kiss me passionately once a day. And that's 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 all I need. Yeah. It's nice. It's really, really nice. And does he surprise you? Just out of the blue, he gets to decide when? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice because he's not a big initiator and that's been a long standing of of 6 years and it's been one of our things that that I get frustrated with because you know, like I, I was thinking about it during your podcast, like, you know, I want to be like what you said, I want to have 20 minutes of, you know, pleasure beforehand, or I want to be taken, or I want to, you know, be surprised and impromptu and the effort and the, um, I just find all that very hot and that's not really his cup of tea. Uh-huh. And so, so we've just basically figured out, okay, what, what requests can I make that inspire initiation that don't have a lot of pressure to them? That's and so good. Okay. Yes, so the Rob kissing... is going to, is going to edit this podcast. So he's uh-huh. listening to this right now. Yeah. Hey Rob. Babe, let's do this. Okay. Yeah. One today, you decide when I'll, I'll make sure to brush my teeth <laughs> or not. This morning ours was actually unbrushed and it was great. I think we had had some coffee. Um, and so, yeah, that's been, that's been really sweet and just taken the pressure off of any noise we have around, like we have to have sex because the thing for both of us is if one of us wanted to have sex, we would like, it's, we don't have issues around that. Like, I don't, I, you know, if I wanted to, I would just, and, and I do, you know, would just initiate it. And if he wanted to, he would, but neither of us are in a very uh, sexualized space, you know, this, this year. And so kind of, yeah, just sitting with that balance of how do we welcome that and honor it and still be generating and cultivating intimacy. Mm -hmm. And so the kissing once a day has really, and sometimes that does lead to an epic love session and, and more often than not, it doesn't. And it still energizes us and feels so sweet. And then even I notice after that, you know, the way we're touching each other is different. It's just so sweet and it's so simple. And then we go through periods where we'll schedule it once a week and we'll just be like, okay, Sunday. And we actually most recently in the last couple of months, we've been switching off who initiates. And so it's like, if it's this Sunday and we don't talk about it. So it's just set up. Like we know that this Sunday is your Sunday and we know that next Sunday is my Sunday. And so it's not talked about, but that way, again, you know, at first I was resistant to this because I was like, Oh, it sounds so like not hot. Yeah. But 
I've actually been very surprised. There's a lot of sexiness in knowing that it's coming and mentally preparing for it. And maybe we drop the baby off to my sister, or maybe, you know, I'm noticing that he's like prepping an area when I'm putting her down, you know, for a nap and just bringing intention really to it. uh, Because the reality is, it's not the first six months of our relationship where we were fucking as much as we could. And, um, you know, and we had no responsibilities and, you know, it was just like, of course we took every shower together and, you know, gave each other oral sex, you know, that is not our life anymore. Um, and one of the the biggest things that, uh, a beautiful elder teacher of mine said to me a couple years ago, when I was talking to her about sex in relationship, She said, what's cool about being with someone for so long, you know, for a lifelong partnership is you don't have to conquer every issue now. And so she said, you know, you, you might find that you guys don't give this your full focus for three more years and that's totally okay. And so that was a huge thing off my back was like, oh yeah, like we want to go to tantric workshops and we want to, you know, have a year that's super focused on this and, um, and it's not this year and that's totally okay. That's really great. And, <laughs> and has your self-pleasure practice changed post? post no, it's pretty, it's pretty much the same, except now I have a baby. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say it's, it's. It's pretty much the same. What about you? Well, I'm in a whole revolution, exciting. Oh, right, right, right. Well, I need a revolution. Yeah, I need the revolution. I'll do whatever you're doing. <laughs> All right. I, yeah, I'm going to share. It's, it's so exciting. I have yeah. like daily dates with myself. Yeah, um, that sounds awesome. Yeah. And so do you just have them like leave the house or are you just hold up in a bedroom? Well, no, I actually have a lock on my door. Nice. And so sometimes I do it at night after <laughs> Zion and Rob have gone to bed. I get my mm-hmm. jade egg out and, and play. It's been, it's been really, really good. Yeah, that sounds and awesome. I remember you mentioning, I think you commented on one of my posts or maybe in WhatsApp that you wanted to share something about some ideas about my prolapse basically what's come up for me about what I know of you and in our friendship and, and what your life was postpartum. And, and I've never heard you specifically speak to it, which doesn't mean that you don't already know it and that you're not thinking about it or talking about it in your own life. Um, but I, I really don't see prolapse in women who rest for many weeks afterwards. And I know you hit the ground pretty strong, pretty quickly, you know, with, with all the weddings and you were holding a lot as women do, as mothers do. Um, and so I, I think that's a, you know, I just want to make sure or invite you to make sure you're kind of thinking about that when you're thinking about the, the prolapse or the birth injury, because that's, it's pretty, that's pretty much, it's like one plus one equals two, you know, women, especially after they've had their first baby. I mean, it's more common, um, with subsequent babies because it is, you know, uh, it takes a toll on the body, obviously. And in our culture, we see prolapse all the time. Um, but we don't, I don't see it. I'll speak for myself. I do not see it or hear stories of women, um, even with their sixth, seventh, eighth or ninth babies having prolapse if they've rested and not just for a week. I mean, like three, four, five, six, however many weeks that they need. So this is a huge conversation because it can feel almost impossible 
to have that because we don't live in a matriarchal community-based supportive environment. So many women are running their households and their businesses, like I know you are. And, and then also we're not raised, you know, to give ourselves that enormous permission um, to really experience full deep rest and repair um, after we have a baby. And so, you know, I, I, I did a podcast recently with a woman with twins who free birthed with twins. And then she was like, but I went to the hospital to get stitched up because I knew I wouldn't be able to rest. And it just, it breaks my heart. So m- my invitation to you, because I know you have a big platform, especially in that you did just go through um, a really hard postpartum, it sounds like from what mm-hmm from what, you know, snippets I've gathered, you have a wonderful life and a wonderful family. And it seems like postpartum was pretty fucking rough on you and your body. And, and yeah, I just think we really need to connect those dots for, for women that it's not random. It doesn't just happen. It's not like Susie didn't get one and you got one and you guys did the same stuff. Like it's, this is what happens when women don't rest. And it's, um, it's a big deal, right? Because it super affects us. Yeah. Your intuition is completely on point with, with, uh, that is the case with me. Yeah. I totally hit the ground running and was like, I feel good in my body. Let's go. <laughs> you know? I know. I know. And you and I were new friends too. And I, you know, we were talking on WhatsApp a lot cause we had just, uh, done the podcast and I remember, you know, and I was following you now on Instagram and seeing your Insta stories like up and Adam at this wedding or that wedding or whatever. And I was like, Oh my God. No wonder in bed. Yeah, no wonder. Yeah, and and it's in it, and I see it with some of the the women that I see have the worst prolapses are the strongest, most badass women, Um, because you know because there is some stuff, and I'm not going to say it's for you because I'm not in your head, but I think it there's this like thing of you know I can do everything, I can do everything, and I feel good enough, and I'll be fine, I'll be fine. I'm a warrior, I'm a survivor, I'm strong, I have shit to do you know, but there's a real cost to it. And, and I guess I would lastly offer that it's not your fault. It's nothing to feel guilty about. It's nothing like that. You are literally raised, you know, and told your whole life to not carve out space for yourself. And the fact that you are doing that now with your sexuality and that you are having you dates, you know, and even if, even if it's not sexual pleasure based, even if it's just laying there with your hand on your yoni or your hand on your heart or your womb or where that prolapse occurred, you know, putting your hands right there and just breathing, I mean, that there's, it's never too late you know, for that repair and for that love and, and to say, I can carve out space now because I didn't know that I needed to do it then and I can do it now. Yes, this is so on point. My sister said something to me right around when my baby was born that stuck in my head and she's a, a rolfer and a body worker. And, and she just, when we were talking about my rest period, she said, this isn't just about laying in for your first year this is about laying in for when you're fucking 50 and when you're 60 and that you're not dealing with incontinence and prolapses, you know, at 70, you know? And so that's, that's what I've, she really, it's so true, you know, and we're just so focused on getting back into life and integrating and, and, you know, doing what we need to do and, and doing it consciously and, 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 you know, everything, but, you know, we also, we have to take care of our pelvises for 50 years from now, 
you know, should we still be alive or for 20 years from now? You know, I grew up with a mom who every time she sneezed, she peed. And now I know that shouldn't have been happening. She didn't know about pelvic floor work. She didn't know, she didn't have a a situation where she could lay in bed and rest for weeks after each baby, you know? Anyway, that's my two cents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. I want to ask you, what are some of your favorite self-care practices? What do you do to turn yourself on or just feel good in your body or shift stagnant, non-sexy energy? So specifically like centering to, to get into my own sexuality? Sure. Or just what, what makes you feel good as a, as a new mama? (sighs) Well, there's like really simple stuff like going outside, going for a walk is just so simple and huge because I work from home. So I can just go all day being inside. You know, I've had a real challenge with self-care this year and I, I've been trying to give myself the spaciousness to just let it be okay. Again, kind of what I was saying about that woman being like, you can always work on it next year. Something that I was thinking about this morning, knowing that you and I were going to talk, something that I've been really, yeah, just leaning into and learning about this year since I've become a mother is the shift in sexuality, not it going away, just the shift and really noticing being out in the world with a baby. the difference, you know, of how I'm treated, how I'm looked at or not looked at, um, and really, really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know I would because up until basically very, very recently, I heavily identified as a very sexual person and I loved the male gaze and I loved attention and, and enjoyed dressing, you know, in ways that made me feel sexy and powerful and playing with all of that. Um, But then I've also become a pretty radical feminist in the last, you know, handful of years. And so I've been really unpacking, why do I like that? Why do I like, why why does giving me, you know, putting makeup on my face um, or getting more attention from, you know, the male gaze and all of that, what, what is that feeling for me? And really diving into what do I find hot in a woman? What is, what is the most sexy, like what woman catches my eye and, and, you know, what women do I follow on social media or, um, you know, who I hang out with that I'm just totally lit up by. And it's always really badass mothers. Mm. And, and, and that's what I've become, you know, and just to embrace that and love it and feel so it's like, I'm owning my sexuality and not giving it away and having, you know, having it be evaluated by the male gaze Mm -hmm. because, you know, the average dude, as we know, doesn't think a woman with a baby is like eye catching. Although a lot of the powerful, wonderful, you know, feminist men I, I know actually do think that mothers are the hottest. Um, so anyway, so yeah, it's been this like deep transition of, you know, of course my body's different. My breasts are very different as I'm nursing and, and they're bigger than they've ever been. And that's been really fun to be like, whoa, cause I, I had very small breasts before and now I don't. Um, and that's been really fun. And yeah, just my body being softer, but also feeling so fucking womanly and just so powerful and so proud of this relationship with my baby. And she's so lovely and, you know, everyone just adores her. And just to be that woman in the world who's, 
you know, just nurturing this baby and is in this happy marriage. And I'm not assessing everything off of the attention I'm getting because I've really felt this huge shift inside of myself that I am the power, you know, like it it is me, I am generating it and I am off charging it to everyone around me. And it feels profoundly different. Um, Like I stopped shaving a couple months ago and it was just this, like, it was a challenge to myself because it's one of my, you know, it's one of our, as women, huge socializations that are very, very, uh, for me, very confronting is like, okay, Whew, I have been told my whole life that women should be bald essentially on their whole body, except for their head, you know, that they should be totally like pussy should be shaven, uh, you know, armpits shaven, legs shaven. And I pretty much just went along with that, you know, and I thought that that felt the best and looked the best. And, and, but again, that's just my socializations. Um, something just changed in me. And I was like, you know what? I want to see what it looks like and feels like for me to fully see myself. And I have never seen myself not shaved. Hmm. I started shaving when I was like in fourth grade. Yeah. And so I was like down, I didn't, and, and I have to say, I mean, so it's been many months now and I wouldn't say I love it, but what I'm identifying is I don't love it because I'm told it's gross or because I'm told that men think it's gross. And so I'm just like sitting with that and playing with that. And like I did my first yoga class with my armpits out the other day and was so self-conscious about it. And of course, no <laughs> one's looking at me. And and just, yeah, just feeling really ready to look at that. And I don't know that it'll be something I do forever, but I just wanted to feel into like my womanhood that's uninterrupted, you know, that nobody is moderating for me. And can I still feel, or could I feel even more, you know, in my body and, and, and even more proud? These are such important explorations, especially as we consider being a sexual mother, that, Mm -hmm. that concept of a sexual mother, right? It's like not allowed. (laughs) Yeah. It's, you can't be both. Totally. No, you're just supposed to like wear fat jeans and cut your hair short. And that's fine if that's, if that's how you want to roll. But we teach our mothers that you become invisible, you know, and we, we see it. We see it the second a baby's on the outside. You know, it's very rare that someone asks how you are. It's all about the baby. It's all about ooing and eyeing over the baby, which is fine, whatever. But there's a real invisibility that happens, particularly in a sexual yeah, like it's it like you just said, mothers aren't sexual, which is ironic because they obviously had sex to have the baby. <laughs> um, and, and it's just it's something really important to explore. I just did a beautiful podcast with this woman who she said that she'd never felt sexual until she became a mother. And now she is loving herself and nourishing herself, and she's so in her sexuality. And until it really took her uh, transitioning into this new stage of life to go there. And she feels so visible and she never felt that way before. Um, so it's just been this huge blessing to her. And it really stuck with me because I was like, damn, yeah, that is pretty much the opposite of what we're taught, you know, and here we are totally doing it, being visible, sexual, loving, nurturing, bright, powerful women. And our children are an extension of that. You know, it doesn't, I reject the notion that, when you begin to give life on this planet that you should, you know, shut up and be invisible like we're, like we're taught. 
On your platforms, you speak a lot about matriarchy, and I always find it to be so refreshing and so beautiful. I think before that, the last time I was reading or hearing about matriarchy was in university, you know, doing my sexual anthropology course. Honestly, that was the, the last time. And uh, even a few days ago, you posted an Instagram of Suni. It was so cute. She's sitting in her chair and, and the caption read, ah, just waiting around for matriarchy. <laughs> I know, my friend made that. This is so, so sweet. So then what, what does that mean to you? And how can we start building a, a world like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really important question. And you know, there's a million answers to it, but, uh, where, where I go with it is first of all, I want to say to anyone listening to this, who is confronted by the idea of matriarchy. Um, what I see very often when I post anything about matriarchy is women are, and only women are very, very quick to go, well, matriarchy will be just as bad as patriarchy. And it's, it's, you know, it's the power that's making you know, men be like this and that'll just happen to us too. And, you know, matriarchy shouldn't be, shouldn't replace. And that's something I see so regularly because, so I just want to point it out before we get into this conversation, there is an implication I see very widespread from women that matriarchy would be equal, would be patriarchy just reversed. Mm. And that's not it at all. That's not it at, at, at all. Um, and so, yeah, I just think it's important to to preface that because women get really triggered when I talk about matriarchy. And I think, you know, it's because they don't understand what it is. And so uh, with that, you know, I just want to say that matriarchy is the centering of women and girls. And just like patriarchy is the centering of, of men and boys. And so what I even want to point out in women being so quick to come to the defense of men actually proves the point that we would not be just like patriarchy because as women as maternal you know heart-centered generous creatures that give life you know and and nurture these babies um, all over the planet we hold boys and girls we hold our men we hold our women in a way that um, is very obvious is not happening um, with the powers that be today and have not been for a very very long time so matriarchy to me just means the centering of, of women and girls and what I've seen to be true all over the world in my studies is that when women are centered when girls are centered whole communities thrive whole families shift I mean there are epic TED Talks and books and stuff to read about out there of, of what's happening, you know, following the life of one young girl in a small rural village in China who is given the chance to go to school and is given the chance to, you know, be more than her third grade, you know, academic level because they're going to prioritize the boys' uh, education. And so, you know, this happens all over the world. Again, patriarchy. And so identifying what patriarchy is and how that shows up for us in every fucking way, all day, every day, I think is a really awesome first step. You don't have to do it with like venom in your heart. Let's just start naming things because the naming is, we can't move forward if we haven't named it. Mm -hmm. So and we can we can put in the show notes of the of the podcast like the suggestions of books and stuff if anyone wants to. I would love that. Yeah. And your favorite playlist and the chance. 
that you'd like to dance to. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. So we'll, we'll get to that stuff later. I won't, I won't try to conjure it all up in my brain right now, but so, so with matriarchy, you know, in, in my mind, what I think about a lot is the, one of the most effective tools of destroying womanhood and oppressing women has been the destruction of community. And so of course I'm birth centered in my life. So where I go with that is, uh, when women don't have community, they go to the hospitals. When women don't have community, they don't know what to do. They don't know about breastfeeding. You know, when women don't have community and family, they have prolapses, you know, they're up and out of the house. They're, oh gosh, it's just such a long, such a long um, list. So community, you know, we talk about it a lot, but who's really building it? Who's really showing up for it? And most importantly, who's committed to it? Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is it's one thing to host a circle every month. It's another to have a group of 10 women co-committed to it. So I've been playing with that in my life because I just started a woman's circle and I made it very clear, this isn't me hosting and you guys coming and whoever can make it can come. This is us, should you choose to want to, to do this. This is us choosing to be in community together, which means I don't do all of this myself, you know, and, and what does that look like? Because it's actually not easy to be committed to community. You know, our lives are busy and we live very singular lives. And so that's kind of personally for me in my life right now, what I'm playing with is, you know, be the brass tacks, like literally just gather, just start to sit in circle because I've seen consistently my whole life working with women, the magic that happens in circle it changes women really quickly. You know, sitting, we used to have these things called the sexy girl meetings in LA. And it was a group of like 12 to 15 of us, all different ages and different backgrounds. And, uh, and we would just pick a question every week. We met every week for like 12 weeks, I think. And we filled out this form that my girlfriend, Crystal had made up. And uh, every week we picked a different topic and we would just sit in circle and talk about it. You know, when did you, uh, first learn about masturbation or um, tell us the story of how you lost your virginity or how was sex portrayed in your family growing up or what's your current self-image, you know, like, and, and, you know, what's the relationship to your body right now, whatever, really simple questions, but to sit in circle and hear how diverse everyone's stories were. Some were full of shame, some were full of assault, some were full of health, you know, in great families that did talk about stuff. Others, you know, shared that they first experienced sex by, uh, you know, fingering their cousin or all sorts of actually very normal and common stories, you know, or masturbating in the crib, things that we are are not allowed to talk about or share. And then all of a sudden we are allowed to talk about it and share. And that to me is how matriarchy starts is by creating these spaces where we get to normalize sexuality and womanhood and being a kid and being a witch. You know, that's a huge thing. Like so many women, when I are, am with them, they start talking about their relationship to the spirit world when they were a kid and like myself had nowhere safe to talk about it. You know, I was, I was tormented by this dark shadow thing in, in third grade. And I didn't know what it was. I certainly couldn't talk to my Christian family about it. And it was scary. And, and in retrospect, you know, finally it occurred to me, I could tell it to go away and I did, and it did. But I, I, I always remember that creepy shadow thing in my room. I remember exactly where it would, would hang out at night by this aqua colored fan that I had. 
And so there's so many stories like this that when women start to talk, you know, they talk about their relationship with the spirit world when they were a kid and then patriarchy just, you know, shuts it the fuck down. And then you get into your sexuality, totally socialized to be a bit centered around, um, you know, the male gaze. And then, then it's pretty much like an attempt to come back home in our twenties or thirties or forties. And so that, that to me is the most simple uh, solution is it is community because when women have women at their back, shit changes real fast. And when women start attending other women's births, shit changes real fast. You know, we have to renormalize the most basic parts of being a woman, like our menstrual cycles, being a positive, beautiful, nourishing thing. Um, even if they're coming with, you know, pain or or um, not great feelings that, you know, we need to release this idea of shame and grossness around it. That's still so heavily carried in our culture. Again, of course, patriarchy, right? Like there's whole religious sects that say that women are so fucking dirty when they're bleeding. You can't even be touched. Fuck that. That is so painful. That is so fucking painful and untrue. And so, you know, from our cycles to birth, to postpartum, to breastfeeding, to sex and self-pleasure, you know, that masturbation is still a taboo word. I mean, there's these core foundations of who we are as women, you know, women with, with pussies and with boobs and with, you know, all of this stuff that comes with our, our hormones, you know, that, that hormones have such a negative connotation. Oh, she's being hormonal. Fuck yeah, she's being hormonal and... And guess what? We are hormonal and so are men. So are all mammals. That is humanness. Come on. Yeah. So just, I think the reclamation really happens in those simple steps of don't overthink it, just gather. I think that's really huge. Like stop talking about community and literally gather, commit to a weekly family community meal where you can hop houses every, every Friday or have a woman's circle. You don't need to have it planned out. It could just be, how are you doing? And everyone gets a space to talk. Women are so, so desperate to be seen and heard. Give that to each other you know, and see what happens because that's, that's where women start talking and sharing stories and everyone gets elevated. Ah, so good. Know what I mean, Jellybean? Yeah, mama. (laughs) Thank you so much. This is beautiful. And I'd love uh, to wrap up by having you share with our listeners a little bit about your course, Mm. incredible free birthing course. Yeah, thank you. So we released a really comprehensive and very in-depth online course called The Complete Guide to Free Birth. And it's a 10-module course that covers, well, it's called The Complete Guide. It's everything we could possibly think of. It took a very long time to create and um, very, very proud of it. It's a video-based course, but there is also transcripts for every video if you're more of a reader. And then we have worksheets and and more of the like creativity stuff and spiritual stuff if you if you want to go there. But it's, you know, you do what you want. And and the the point of it is to really unpack the medicalized model of care. So we spend many modules going through evidence-based information and a new perspective. You know, we're very critical of industrial birth practices. And uh, so we break down a lot of those myths and uh, what obstetrical prenatal care would look like and alternatives. And then we get into what it can look like to take full responsibility for your own prenatal care. Um, Everything from 
supplements and, and nutrition stuff you might want to think about too. Oh, there's just so much. There's so much. It's, it's really, it, there's a lot of information in it. But what, what Katya and I were talking about before we started recording was another way to think about this course is it's a radical look at childbirth education and radical, you know, the etymology of that, as Katya pointed out when we first became friends, is back to roots. So it's, uh, it's, it's radical because what has now become the norm is so far from our roots. It's so far from natural. Um, there's nothing natural about leaving your home and, and having a highly medicalized birth. And so if you're interested in learning another perspective, um, you don't have to be choosing to birth without medical management, though that is what is centered. So free birth society as a whole is centering women who are interested in learning about or are choosing to center themselves and to manage themselves. That doesn't mean they don't have support and love and and, um, care, but it means that we are just carving out a space in the universe to center women who are choosing to go through birth and and their childbirth uh, and their pregnancy without medical management. And so that's really what the the course is, is to give you the tools and information to do that in confidence. Um, We've been just having wonderful, wonderful birth stories roll in of women who have taken the course and and, and I guess I should also say to anyone who's new to me that the fundamental principle of free birth society and free birth at large is that this is an exploration of you taking responsibility for yourself. So this is not a course where I'm telling you to do anything. These are just... We are not medical experts by any means, but birth also is not owned by the medical model. You know, it's it's owned by women. And so we are women who have walked with women for a long time and who have free birthed our own babies. And we're sharing our collective wisdom of uh, many, many years of what we know to be true and, and possible and available. So yeah, you can learn more about it through our website at freebirthsociety.com. And it's super awesome. I'm really proud of it. Oh, and the other thing I want to plug is this new membership that thanks to Katya got us on Mighty Networks, which I'm loving. We left uh, Facebook and it feels really, really good to be in this new super clean space. And so it's a highly vetted little membership. So I interview everybody and you sign some agreements to get in because we really want high quality committed women. And it's just been so special. So it's a safe, protected space. Um, it's It works similar to Facebook, but it's just ours. It's just a cool platform. It's and so awesome. I'm yeah. loving it. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. having a lot of fun in there and it's super focused and just radical, badass women and and yeah, it's definitely something to check out. So all of that can be found through through the website, freebirthsociety.com. I'm a proud member. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Emily, thank you so much, sister, for being here with me. I already can't wait to have you back. Yeah, me too. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, thank you for listening. I hope you loved it. Um, and as promised, are you ready for the announcement? Katya and I are co-leading a seven-night epic women's retreat in Katya's beautiful home of Dominican Republic in February of 2020. So one year from now, we have booked a ridiculous jungle getaway property just for us to dance and move and talk and swim and sleep and so much more. So come heal, recharge, rewire your nervous system, come back home to yourself and to sisterhood. It is the Mother Lovin' Retreat, centering the phase of womanhood that is motherhood, and it's open to any and all women. 
There are only 20 spots, and we are going to be giving priority and special pricing to women in our communities first. So if you have been wanting to join our membership, go to freebirthsociety.com and apply. Now is the time. We'll be posting the dates and all the details soon, so stay tuned. That's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.